to, hey, this even works for small manufacturing companies. I can write this, improve my dashboarding, improve my data, improve my metrics. And that's the last piece for 2024. You need data, you need metrics, and more importantly, you need it to be parsed in a way that's understandable and digestible. I'm excited to welcome back Doug Dreher to Defender, Senior Physical Security Engineer for a Fortune 50 company with an incredible security background from veteran to corporate security. Doug, welcome back to Defender. Thanks. Great to be here. Um, thanks for having me back and and definitely looking, looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, I think during our last conversation, you know, we, we covered sort of your, your background and then thoughts on corporate security. And then we just started getting into critical infrastructure and, t- and chatting about that. And sort of we uh, we paused that and for, for this episode, which is great. So this is a subject that really do- does deserve its own uh, episode just to, to cover the sort of the gamut of critical infrastructure, how important it is and what that really means, because it, it touches so much uh, in our world today. No, I agree. Um, passion of mine as well, uh, especially as we move forward into the future. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, hard to believe it's 2024. So, you know, that, that was probably one of my first questions for you is just, you know, as a physical security expert um, and, and someone's been around and seen a lot of different things and from definitely from a military perspective too, uh, looking at critical, critical infrastructure and sort of what's important for 2024, you know, what's your recommendations for, for a security team, um, you know, tasked with securing critical infrastructure? Yeah, sure. Um, I think there's some focus that, that, some items you need in 2024 to be paying very close attention to. Um, number one, cybersecurity across the board. Um, that's kind of a given, especially we've got generative AIs, we have other AIs. Uh, we know and we have seen reports uh, of dark web AIs uh, that can create malware, can create t- Trojans. Um, it's going to be a different level of attack uh, that we haven't seen before. So making sure your cybersecurity is robust, I think, is key number one to anything with critical infrastructure. That's not, and by cybersecurity, it's the gamut, right? It's your SCADA systems. Um, I'll tell you, right, SCADAs are generally the most unsecure. Um, so it's time to harden those systems. Um, we see access controls, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about access controls here in a sec, but access controls are another way. How tight are you? Are you actually secure? Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We hit a little bit of that in the last, um, in the last episode, but this one we can deep dive in. The next one are, how are you enhancing your physical security? Have you, have you walked around? Um, I mean, we have energy companies. There are smaller substations in the middle of the Sierra Nevadas or in the middle of the Rockies. Um, how often do you get out there? They may be, this is a term we used last week. I was on a on a, uh, a site visit. What if there's a whole bunch, and you understand this where you live, what if there's a whole bunch of deer camps or elk camps in our area, right? Um, 
they pay their power bill for whatever they use. How often does the energy company get out there to look at those substations? Um, what if it services, you know, 10 houses that are vacation houses and they're not occupied? You may not know for six months that there's an issue. So making sure your physical security is enhanced and, and the biggest part of that is make sure you can monitor from afar, right? Cloud is your friend. <laughs> Use the cloud and be able to monitor from a centralized point or a, or, or a set of centralized points, right? A node system uh, where you can do that. The next one, and uh, actually I read a good article on this last week uh, on the airplane flying back, supply chain security. With everything we talked about with cybersecurity, supply chain security is going to get even more critical than it was that we found out during the COVID times, right? How secure is your supply chain? Because these advanced cybersecurity attacks can occur, guess what? It can also clone things. They can also generate re totally realistic looking documentation. Um, what is the overall global impact? You said military strategies. Let's think about this. One of the key military strategies is cut the supply line. That's the same. If you're in a large enterprise, uh, 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 we'll even go Fortune 500, right? If you're in a large enterprise, you need to be thinking this way. You really need to look at your supply chain security and say, how can we... How can we raise the bar on it, right? How can we increase our posture? Um, I think the next one, I'm going to say the verboten term here, okay? Um, insider threat. Um, again, we're going back to machine learning and AI type stuff. Um, what does the dark web have on it? Uh, I've got friends who work in the intelligence communities. Uh, both corporate level and government level. Uh, the corporate level people will be the first ones to tell you we need to look at our background checks. Um, I saw an article this morning in one of my roll-ups where if you're a security guard in Canada and you need to renew your license, now you have to have an enhanced criminal background check by the Canadian uh, law enforcement authority. Their federal system. So we see governments already positioning themselves for this. Corporations need to do the same thing. Um, anytime you're dealing with insider threats though, you've got to take a, you need to take a step back and, and you need to take a long look. What's the culture like? Are we fostering the security culture? Um, or have we been stepping that down and now when we pick it back up, that's going to create a, that boomerang effect. We don't want that. Uh, we don't want the finger pointing. Oh, look what security did. And we've all heard that before in our industry. Sure. The, so go ahead. In terms of, I was just going to say in terms of, uh, you know, the cybersecurity component of that, you know, what, what can the physical security folks do to help with alignment between their cybersecurity team? Integration. It's integration. Understand that. In, in the security industry for a long time, they've been two separate entities, 
oh, those are the cybersecurity people. They're over there. We're physical security. We do this. No, you've got to integrate. You've got to mesh. And if that means training, if that means let, let's do an, uh, a weekly meeting op tempo or every other week meeting op tempo, let's talk about these things. And the key to that is gets the key, I think, to integrating is get some kind of fusion point. Um, in the U.S. government, we have fusion centers. States have fusion centers for intelligence gathering and stuff like that. Um, we have Arctics now on the law enforcement side, which is real-time intelligence centers um, who have the capability and the authority to track this stuff down, to look at this. But are you keeping it inside of a silo? Or are we sharing that information? So that information sharing is the is step number one um, to integrating physical security with cybersecurity. And that goes right back to, I kind of alluded to it before, how secure is your access control? Are, are you using Wigan? Have you gone to OSDP? Are you, are you V2.0? What kind of badging are you using? Is it still a Wigan badge or have you gone to an escalated uh, encryption like EV2 or even EV3? Are we looking at those kind of things? Are you using biometrics? Um, which, next notch up. Um, if so, what? how are you validating that? How are you re-recording that? Um, when we use for access control, the principal least access, right? Um, the same thing goes, how long do I give it to them for? I know some companies that'll give a, a, a full-time employee like three years of access. Really? It should be an annual thing. Let's do an annual thing. Um, and you can pair that back, you know, um, because we want to relook at stuff again. We want to make sure our stuff's secure. Um, I know NIST came out with new guidelines last fall. Uh, on a lot of stuff, uh, I've been compiling a huge reference library of the latest things. Uh, I think we're going to see more of that where physical and cyber bleeds. And believe it or not, the U.S. government does it the best. They already have entire packages called the Security Technical Implementation Guide. And when it's printed out, it fills like a six-inch binder. If somebody would print it out, that's a lot of dead trees. Um, but physical security is a huge stack buried in it. And then it's woven throughout. Um, and it's not just my badge access control. It's the logical access control on the cyber side. What's your password requirements? How often do you change them? Uh, if you're running in the cloud, you're running in a virtual, a virtual privatized cloud, what do your firewalls look like? Um, what are you letting in and out? Uh, say I've got a software, a third-party software that I'm using, but there's a two-way pipe and there's very little access control. You're setting yourself up for an attack. Um, so making sure that synergy is there and that even drives down to how we're using AI within our industry, right? Um, yeah. Are you doing? Yeah, I said that's. Go ahead. That's definitely that. Well, I was just gonna say it's definitely an evolving trend Oof. that's picked up um, pace. I'd say in the last two years. Yeah. Where it's just gone crazy. Uh, where I see a lot more AI being integrated. What, what's your 
what's your feedback so far on what you're seeing out there in the field for just in terms of realistic uh, capabilities? I see a lot of the AI. We talked about that the last time. Uh, I see a lot more. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of AI and advanced analytics, I'll call it, machine learning, yeah, pushing to the absolute edge. Where now, let's say five years ago, I put up a, a, a video monitoring system, right, a VMS, uh, and I've got my cameras and I've got an NVR or I'm recording in the cloud either way, but all of my analytics were in the box. They were in the head end. And now we're seeing analytics being pushed out to individual cameras. Uh, And as we get better at the whole machine learning and AI thing within our pipeline and security, we're going to see a lot more of that. I'm seeing items that weren't integrated before starting to be integrated. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, today opened the fence show at Nashville. A lot of of industry people down there. Uh, I've been seeing stuff on LinkedIn all day. Um, a lot of the, the newer, so like IDS technologies that are now integrated into a single unit with a camera. We didn't see that five years ago. Wow. And I'm not talking, yeah. uh, like passive infrared. I'm talking LIDAR where, okay, now I'm setting up the mesh. And when that triggers, now it's got a camera that's locked on it a hundred percent instead of and you can still swing PTZs and, and focus like that. But what about a smaller deployment? We're not just talking enterprise here. We're talking, you know, this manufacturing plant over here is keeping this small town afloat because that's what they do. Um, they don't need a $150,000, $200,000 camera system. But now I see technology is starting to decrease that return on the investment, which is super cool to see. Because for a long time, I have constantly heard both in government and the civilian sector, security is just a hole in the floor that we throw money into. And and my retort has always been, no, it's an insurance policy. Um, and yeah, it's a yeah. it's a risk equation. What risk are you willing to accept? And that goes back to what I was saying before. Let's get a fusion cell. Let's have intelligence, people who work in the intelligence community doing this stuff, telling us, hey, this is what we're seeing. Here's the chatter. Um, Leveraging some of the new third-party intelligence stuff out there is mind-blowing. What they can see and how fast it can report because they're cloud-based. What are some of the examples um, of that? Uh, Cirrust is the one that comes to mind. Used to be controlled risk, and now it's called Cirrust. Um, they've got an okay. AI-driven technology that I looked at it, and my mind was blown. Uh, really? And the dashboarding that you can do with it. Uh, I've looked at some stuff from ERI out of the UK. Again, great company. Lots of good stuff. Uh, and then there are some other smaller companies that are coming up uh, that are doing the same thing. Why? Because now there's ML capability. I can use machine learning from a, a variety of providers and companies, and I can create an AI. 
and I can write that code if I don't have, you know, 18 software development engineers and network engineers on my team. Again, right. this goes back to, hey, this even works for small manufacturing companies. I can write this, improve my dashboarding, improve my data, improve my metrics. And that's the last piece for 2024. You need data, you need metrics, and more importantly, you need it to be parsed in a way that's understandable and digestible. Because if you don't know what's going on, you're, you're, you're 20 years ago now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's the progression too of, of sort of that centralized dashboard that you were talking about earlier and where that's going and then how AI is going to feed into that. So you're, you know, the old days of looking at a bunch yeah. of cameras, right? Which was almost humanly impossible. Uh, now AI is there to, to really just kind of put up what you need to look at. So, you know, what, what are your recommendations, I guess, you know, not vendor wise, but just in terms of somebody setting something like that up, you know, maybe not at a gigantic company, but just in terms of how important it is to sort of tie all this stuff together, like you're saying, almost like a, uh, a smaller fusion yeah, center. Um, yeah, manufacturing, they've got three or four factories uh, that they want to, that they want to protect. Um, very security conscious. They're going to set up that node. That's a cloud. Your best bet is to go through the cloud. It's the fastest. It's actually the cheapest. Um, no matter which provider you get, it's going to be cheaper than installing, um, you know, miles of cable. Uh, and then trying to tie into fiber um, and all that entails for permitting. It's it's a nightmare. Um, go with the cloud. Always have an on-prem backup. So are you going to avoid buying the server uh, as an NVR, right? As a network video recorder? No. But what you are going to do is now ensure you have backups. Um, so that's the first piece. And then deep dive, investigate, look at these companies, uh, and then sit down with your team and say, hey, if this company does it, here's pros, cons for each. Um, let's get, let's do a request for bid. Let's get a bid. Um, and reach out to four or five of them and then sit down and deliberately go through it. It's not lowest number wins. It's biggest bang for the buck. Um, and then look at your business model, right? Are, are you going to scale? Because if so, that company needs to scale with you. The system needs to scale with you. If they can't scale with you, uh, if they're very, we'll call it boutique, you know what I mean? Um, and we hear that term in the security industry a lot. Um, but can they scale? Can they meet your demand? Um, if they can't, then, you know, they may have really cool stuff, but if they can't scale, it's not going to work. Uh, so my recommendations are to begin with are that. And as part and parcel of that, are you still running analog cameras <laughs> um, through encoders and stuff like that? You need to look at the overall infrastructure. What am I trying to protect? What's the criticality? What's my threat? So we're going to do that risk equation that says, hey, here's the threats I've identified. Here's the top three to five in our area. We have the data to back this up. That's where the intelligence people come in. 
they're really, really super good at that stuff. Um, then sit with your operations team, your facility management team, and say, okay, of everything we have, what's critical? What do we need to constantly monitor? And let's rack and sack. And it's tough. It's really tough. Uh, but you've got to go through this. And then say, okay, let's walk around. What vulnerabilities do we have? You know? Hey, we're still on weekend access controls. We don't have cameras here. We're identifying holes. Our perimeter fence is six foot chain link instead of maybe a seven foot standard. Let's go with a welded wire um, where it's anti-scale to begin with. And then let's put a topper on it if, our, if the AHJ allows it. Uh, because there are a lot of AHJs now who won't allow like the old school barbed wire outriggers or anything like that. Uh, I've seen quite a few of them around the country. Um, do that and then sit down and look, what does that risk calculation do? If I mitigate this, what's my residual risk? And the best part of this, it's not just increasing your security posture. There is a return on the investment because then you go back to your insurance company <laughs> or your investors and say, hey, we're taking these steps. And frequently, it can lower the rate. Um, that's a good point. I mean, that's kind yeah. of business continuity. If you're looking at, uh, you know, all these different facets of how that affects the business and what, what could happen if, um, you know, there was a, a large enough yeah. threat for sure. Yeah. And in the cyber world, that could be somebody 5,000 miles away. Could be somebody half a world away. Yeah. Um, that's what's yeah. so crazy is... Uh, you know, when you think about, you know, kind of outside in, that's really far out. And then I was just thinking about, you know, you're talking about um, sort of that fence line and, and you know, you have that traditional fencing. And I think people could definitely bolster that. Um, you know, I think there's definitely some some good products out oh, there. Yeah. And I know you're you're a big fan yeah. of, of that as well. So, you know, there's, there's that. And then you have... Um, like you're saying, you know, you, you do have these sort of, especially with critical infrastructure, I'd say sort of the old, the old school of this was my perimeter and that was defined. And now they find that, well, it'd be kind of better if we could put something out a little bit further, like maybe where that person drives into this substation in the middle of nowhere, like you're mentioning, um, maybe it's a mobile security unit or something out there where at least they can have sort of that heads up and catch a license plate where the person's not expecting it. Um, you know, it's more intelligence, yeah. right? And then you, you're, you're thinking about, um, you know, 5G or whatever kind of uh, signal is out there to, to transmit that back, hopefully to a head in. But there's a lot of different options that are out there now that I see that I see that people weren't using really not right. that long ago. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a de definitely a way to expand that footprint of your what really is a perimeter, especially for critical infrastructure. And then one of the things I wanted to kind of pick your brain on was, you know, where do you see robotics within that that sphere of influence as well? Because, you know, a, a robotics dog or something sort of walking within a substation that could provide, you know, some value there, especially if there's if it's very remote. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on all that and, and what you've seen it in, in the real so world? It's so far in the last five to ten years. 
Um, you have Boston Dynamics, you have Ghost Robotics, you have many other companies out there. Uh, I will tell you straight up, uh, I've done some work with, with both of them. Um, that four-legged canine can be scary, uh, especially if you're not used to seeing it. But more importantly, it's a platform. It's a highly mobile platform that can be relatively 98% autonomous. You can put thermal cameras on these things. You can put LiDAR on these. Um, some of the newer LiDAR is the size of twice the size height of a hockey puck and about as big around. Um, I think very great investment. If your use case says this is a great investment. Some of the other, I've seen a lot of the newer, uh, I call them the, the parking lot patrol robots. Um, this is all, again, this is return on investment. So it's a business decision, right? Um, and does it meet your needs? I think the future of robotics is a given. Uh, you mentioned that outlier node of a substation or whatever that's that's sending power to your factory, right? We will stay on the factory realm. Um, put that robot out there and then incorporate AI and you're not going to just be reading license plates because as soon as that AI detects something through, under, around, cutting, whatever, your control room center screen should light up with a big flashing red box. And let's face it, most companies don't have armed security for good reason uh, because they really don't require it. So it's a report and observe. So that could trigger a 911 call right away. Uh, and if you've done your training and done drills and that with your local law enforcement and emergency responders, it should go off without a hitch almost. Um, I think the robots are a force multiplier. I really, really do. Well, especially for, I mean, you know, specifically though, just on yeah. critical infrastructure, because I think they have the, the you know, the price tag to, to sort of match yes. that use case, right? And And you think about, Obviously, the the big, well, I don't know if it's the biggest, but one of them would be substations because there's so many of them and they're sort of out out in the middle of, of nowhere a lot of times, and maybe airports as well. I mean, oh, they have the perimeter of, huge. of the yeah. So there's there's definitely a lot of um, use cases I can think of dams, you know, any, anything where it's hard to get to rolling somebody out there is not right very quick. And so it's sort of gathering that intel, yeah. like you were saying, if these things can, can light up and, and connect to, uh, you know, a network or something. That's sort, that, that integration that's piece. And one that people don't think about, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, here's a critical infrastructure that nobody's talking about yet. Privatized space launch, privatized space recovery. We're delivering payloads into orbit and then you know these uh sections of the rockets are coming back to earth for reuse that's high right. security stuff that's i mean that is u.s government nasa required uh i know nasa is requiring all the background checks and the clearances and stuff like that for that an airport is huge um the majority of the airports are, are very very large 
Um, some of these, I'll call them spaceports, um, are about as large as like Atlanta or, or, or Chicago O'Hare or Dallas Fort Worth. They are mega sized. And that's yeah, where huge. the patrol robots can really stand out. Uh, because they can go for, uh, I think the last one I saw, um, they can walk for 10 to 12 hours without without going back That's for a amazing. recharge. They just kind of hang out. Um, and if you program in the autonomous piece where they go to certain areas, say it's critical area, and it just stands there, it's not moving, it's using minimal power, you can actually extend that life. Uh, and then by having multiple robots, you have 24-7 patrol then. Yeah, if you're especially if you're yeah. augmenting, um, you know, human guards with that, so they're they're sort of managing those patrols and and making sure that uh, you know they have eyes where they they couldn't have had that before. I think it's a lot easier probably to, to evade a human, you know, and, and per, sort of predict that versus these dogs are kind of lower to the ground and you might not see that. Truth, if you know a criminal just might overlook Truth. them. So it's kind of kind of an interesting. They, uh... thing, yeah. And again, that depends. Like you said, the criminal criminal may overlook them. Um, if they understand what they're looking at, though, it's uh, time to go find a softer target uh, because that's no joke. I've actually seen the videos, and I did this with Ghost Robotics, where people are like, oh, I'll just throw the thing over. Okay, these things weigh hundreds of pounds. They are very heavy. The other thing is they will fight back. They, if you try and shake this stuff to get the camera to fall off or whatever, it will counter your moves uh, to an extent. And it is, it is, yeah, it's strong. <laughs> um, it, it'll, it'll make your hands leave whatever you're grabbing. Um, so again, a force multiplier, um, especially larger campuses. And, and I know this is a safety thing and I, I applaud this. My guard, force can only drive their patrol vehicles at five to 10 miles an hour. Right. Let's go beyond the robots and let's add drones into this mix as well, where I can have a three foot drone with a clear camera and a speaker package fly at 40 knots straight line distance. I know who's getting there first. Um, and then that announcement from this guy, uh, again, huge deterrent, um, you can hear that size of drone coming. Um, again, force multiplier. Now, you always need that human guard force. But hey, maybe I don't need 12 people on patrol. Maybe I only need six now. And operational expense-wise, that's the most expensive part of security anyway. You, you just touched on something that um, we posted an article not too long ago on AI. And that was one of the sort of thoughts behind that was sort of the, the security guard, the traditional security guard now is becoming more of a, like a technician out there in the field. And they're going to be managed, managing these assets and being able to, again, I'll be, like you said, a, a force multiplier by having these different technologies out there, whether it's a drone or, or dog or just, you know, uh, something rolling around and, and surveilling. Um, so it's going to be a whole different world. I'm sure within, you know, a short I agree. amount of time. I agree. Uh, and I see that exactly what, what you said from the article. The level of training and expertise 
is going to ratchet up. The other piece I see is if yeah. you look at how we employ contract guard force, right? Um, whether it's in the government or whether it's in the civilian sector, it's it's exactly the same. Um, there are levels. You come in and say you start as the construction security guard because I'm just watching that spool of copper, you know? I'm making sure that yeah. everybody's got their safety badge and their safety sticker on their helmet. That when they come through the, the entrance to that construction site. But it also gives that other layer that increased responsibility, that promotion potential, that, that light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, because everybody thinks contract yeah. guard force and they're like, oh, well, you know, there's a whole bunch of them and then it's really small leadership. No, there are layers in between that you're not seeing. And as corporate leaders if we can expand those layers i think then you see more ownership you see more loyalty to the company not only the guard force company but the company they're contracted to um and i think it reduces turnover and anytime you can do that and keep the corporate knowledge there i, I think that's a win-win for everybody you know, coming back to sort of the um, critical infrastructure, I'm thinking about substations and the, the different layers cool. on that. If you're gonna, if you're gonna look at that, I know we talked about like, um, you know, just putting a, a a fence line around something. Obviously, is one one of those layers. But what are some of the other ones that you would say? What are things that people are aren't thinking about? What What are some of the ones that really need attention um, from your sure. perspective? Um... And you're right. Let's go with with substations. I think that's the best example right now. Um, let's. I'm going to quote Shrek here. It's an onion. Um, it's the traditional layered defense in depth. That's the concept you need to keep in the back of your head, and say, where are my layers? What are they protecting? Uh, once you can get to that, you're on the right track. Um, it starts with your external security. Um, that's my perimeter fence. That's the traditional physical security. My security starts at the fence. I am a proponent of if you touch my fence, I have failed. I want that 20 to 30 meter notification that, hey, something's going on. Someone is there. Um, and to tell you the truth, that's where the AIs really help out. Because, again, I can put an operator in front of a screen if I give them 32 cameras to watch, yeah, after about uh, 20 or 30 minutes, the steel traps have shut. They can't physically do it. They can't process that. But that's where the machine learning, the artificial intelligence comes in to say, okay, ignore that, but you need to pay attention to this. Um, and then create, at the perimeter, create layers as well. So... I was going to say, would you say then PIDs, you, you go from that to, and those are oh, yeah. smarter as well. So well, Yeah, when we're looking at PID systems, um, it's not just CCTV with analytics anymore. We're talking LIDAR systems. And this isn't, this isn't yeah. uh, the LIDAR from back in our day, buddy, where it's like eight band. Some of these LIDARs are, oh, yeah, 128 band or more, 86 bands. Um, and now I'm hearing that they're working on some where they're, let's call it the mission impossible thing. 
um, they exist where you can't take a one inch by one inch block and throw it. And this thing will detect it. That's how sensitive they can get. Wow. But do I want to rely only on a primary system? Well, if that primary system's really good and you've got, you know, CCTVs and AI to back it up. Yeah, I think you're good. If it is something like a larger substation, what does that protect on the grid? You know, what does that substation not protect but project power-wise onto the grid? Uh, is it covering, you know, 1,500 square miles? And there's 40 to 100,000 people that live within that area? Um, maybe we need to look at another system as well. Maybe we need to ink, take our layered defense in depth and give us another ring on the onion uh, and use something like uh, microwave. Let's go old school. Old school still works. Um, let's, let's use microwave. And now, again, this gets into the whole environmental and safety and stuff like that. Um, there are companies out there using traditional round microwave sensors like we saw stacked up on poles and you can still see in some locations but they're running CNK band radar instead of microwave. So it's safe. It can be on and I can walk up to it and it doesn't impact me. So your layered defense in depth actually starts your critical point is that area of the perimeter. And then moving in, what do my access controls look like? We talked about this before. How am I protecting my keypad? How am I protecting my biometrics? Physically, there are, if I go to Annexter or a couple of other places, uh, Plugout would be one. They, CBC out at Texas does the same thing. They make what's called an integrated EVAD unit. Uh, being visual and audio unit where everything's housed into one cabinet, but it has additional tampers. So if somebody comes and tries to rip this thing off the wall, you can't attack the keypad because it's buried. All you see are the keys. Um, or let's go this way. I've seen this too. What if I don't have a keypad? What if it's just a prox reader? Maybe I need to right. go up to a keypad then. 100 bucks more. Maybe even less depending on how you're buying it, you know, or how your integrator is buying it. Um are we go ahead? And that's probably, I was going to say that that's probably pretty realistic too for if we're talking about yeah. a substation because they're going to have contractors that will have like a temporary code or something yeah. to go in there, right? Yeah. And you can actually, on a lot of the access control platforms nowadays, I, I would tell you it's probably about 80, 90% of them, I can time limit their access. They can tell me the job's going to take an hour. I'm going to give them two hours just because of fudge factor, right? Um, I can cut it off any time during the 24-hour clock. Um, that goes back to who am I giving access to? Have we vetted them? Um, if you, if I would take you into a U.S. government facility, um, say you and I wanted to go to Fairchild Air Force Base up in Spokane. Um, you could ride with me. I have government identification as a retiree. I can get in. They're going to ask you for government identification as well. I'm starting to hear, and this makes me very, very happy, 
if I'm going to bring a visitor into certain locations, critical infrastructure type locations, then now it's just not just, hey, I need your driver's license. Now I want two forms of government identification, which is, yeah, that's, that's, that's critical. That's where critical infrastructure should be. And I'm starting to hear colloquially, I haven't seen it in writing yet, um, but uh, friends and colleagues out there in the industry are telling me, hey, we're seeing where we're going to require two forms of identification. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's, it's weird how, uh, just from, from my own personal knowledge, like what they require for somebody working at a school, it can be higher than what yep. you were just saying, right? But, but you have to have that. And so they have a much larger background check and there's a lot of other things that they have to go through where uh, going on these government webs or uh, sites rather, you know, that that's not even required. So yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that hasn't happened. Already I can see sure. it happening. Uh, one of my a colleague of mine, he, he, I consider him a friend, um, works at NIST and him and I spoke during the, the holiday period when we were both on vacation and we were just catching up and he said, Hey, more good stuff to come, buddy. And I was like, okay. And he said, I think the government's going to lean that way NIST wise to say, Hey, if you are a critical infrastructure, we're going to talk to NERC FERC and make sure that, that you guys are compliant in this area. And I will tell you right now, most of them already are a good majority of the large energy companies already do that. Um, they do enhance background checks. Um, and they, with the, you know, two or three forms of, government issued identifications, stuff like that, to validate that that's who that person is. Um, the next piece, and it, it can't be, we talked about CCTV in, in AIs as well. The next piece is your cybersecurity. How am I protecting my internal systems? How am I, do I have buildings on this site so I have BMS? That's another one like SCADA. Everybody, I mean, it gets hacked all the time. How do I harden that? And I'm telling you, your best bet to harden it um, is work with a cloud provider. Number one, it gives you that remote capability. Uh, unlike doing the old school desktop remote stuff like we used to do 20 years ago, right? Uh, and are still doing today. Um, but I can go in, I'm gonna go through two or three logical access controls to get into that, that virtualized private cloud uh, or if they were in a zero trust, we would call it a VFR. Same thing. Um, you're going to get in because of your credentials and the background checks and stuff like that that says you can get in there. Um, and then you can look at the dashboards. Then you can, I can look at the heating and cool, the HVAC. I can look at the water cooling that's going on, especially in a factory type setting where, hey, I have HVAC needs and that includes cooling and heating. Uh, I may be, um, if it's a data center, I may be using evaporative cooling uh, where I've got water tanks that I've got to maintain. If my compound's large enough and the AHJ says so, I'm gonna have to have fire tanks depending on the size of the building. I mean, some of these, if you look at like a Walmart distribution center, that's a million square feet plus the parking areas, plus the, the, the standoff areas from the perimeter. Um, 
you've got to have water tanks. You have to have firefighting capability on there. And that is another piece of critical infrastructure that's overlooked. Um, and the reason I'm, I'm so happy you brought up substations is the next thing is if I look at a substation, how am I protecting the critical infrastructure inside of my critical infrastructure site, the transformers? Um, how am I protecting those from gunfire? I was going to say drones. drones. That's yep. another, that's another, yep. you know, wrench, wrench to huge. go in there because now, yeah, now you have to have some sort of radar or something to, to be able to track. And a lot of the companies already do that. They offer that, that capability for drone detection. But once you detect it, what do you do? You can't, uh, FAA federal regulation said, I can't buy an EMP rifle and shoot the thing out of the sky. I can't counter whatever the attack is. So how do I protect that? Right. Um, the good news is if you're critical infrastructure, you've got a no TAM out there. It may not be a no fly zone. It may be, you're not allowed to fly under 2000 feet above this. Um, whatever that no TAM is out there for flight. If they see it, Hey, that's a 911 call. Um, hey, we've got a drone in our area. We're tracking it with our radar. It's under 2,000 or whatever the no TAM is. We need a response. And then law enforcement can engage. Um, I've seen uh, law enforcement uh, out by me starting to train with the net guns, which is pretty cool. Uh, the uh, There are cable net devices, but when we're talking about a substation, no, they don't work. They would work okay for like a manufacturing facility, but again, now we're getting down to ROI and the cost. Um, what is the overall cost to do this based on what the threat is? Now, I'll tell you, um, in addition to cybersecurity, the drones, the shooting scoots, um, we had three plus last year. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Pacific yeah, Northwest had quite a, few, quite a few of them. And they can like, knock out. Yeah, it's just crazy. These shooting scoots, in less than a minute, they're there and gone. Um, worked with companies this past fall um, to look at things like ballistic blankets. Um, how do I obscure my site? We were talking about that perimeter fence before. Um doing site visits in the Midwest, I actually saw masonry block walls. And I was like, oh, that makes me very happy. Um, or opaque, not slatting because it's a tornadic wind area. So I don't want to create a sail out of the perimeter. Um, and in Pacific Northwest, we have the same thing. Um, so how do I do that? Well, ballistic blankets of technology. I saw one that is maybe an inch, inch and a half thick that can stop a 308 dang near point blank. Common hunting rifle. Um, the uh, larger caliber than, you know, some of the other rifles that are out there, but it's also opaque. And if it's a shoot and scoot scenario, I'm going to deny them the ability to see what they're shooting at. 
that's going to be the key. Or do I do with that layered defense in depth con concept? Am I in an area that the threat states, hey, this is going to happen, or it's more likely to happen? Likelihood's higher. Um, do I erect a wall inside to protect those critical pieces so I can still transmit the power? The other piece is talking to the energy providers. Can you develop a redundant node? It's super hard to do. The lead times on substation equipment are 12 to 18 months or more. Um, it's insane. That goes back to supply chain security um, because that can make it even longer. Again, that's walk around and do that. What is the talk to my, my, my new fusion team? and say, hey, what, what does my threat look like? Um, we know this is critical. Um, we've identified vulnerabilities. What's our overall risk? If we do this, if we spend this money, what's my residual risk? What, where's my bang for the buck? Because eventually, you're going to have to go to the CFO and the CEO. Um, you're going to be standing at that level explaining this. And this goes back to make sure you have all the data, all the metrics, because you have to be able to do the math for them, right? You have to be able to present them with an NPV and say, hey, our ROI by this math looks like it's going to be two and a half years. Here are the wins from it. Number one, our brand won't be pasted across the New York Times and CNN um, because our substations won't go down if somebody shoots at them. Um, the whole drone attack scenario, I, 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 my best one is that is detection and AI. And then training, drills, training, drills, training, drills. That's the military part of me. If we drill it and it becomes muscle memory, that's a good thing. I was going to ask, Doug, what, what do you think about NERC uh, came up with some new rules yeah. on cybersecurity? Do they cover anything about allowing at least critical infrastructure sites, like especially um, power, you know, power mm -hmm. stations about allowing them to have some sort of technology to, to at least drop those drones. Like I know we have that where you get close it's, with a drone and it's it an EMP wall. Out of the sky. You're creating an EMP wall. Yeah. Um, not an electrical engineer and did not stay at a holiday Inn express last night. Um, however, having done this and worked in the industry for quite a few decades, can, you would have to have a greater standoff to create that EMP wall because of the actual electromagnetic field that's generated inside the substation proper. Um, and you don't want an interaction. Uh, so again, that's deep diving. Hey, can we do this? Um, what if I move my perimeter out 10 feet? Could I do it then? Do we have the land to do that? Uh, I will tell you most substations have probably a 10 in the country, probably 20 foot. Their, their property line is 10 or 20 feet outside of their perimeter fence. And if that's the case, you know, what's the bang for the buck? Again, where, where does I'm going to invest this money to do this? What's, what's the benefit to myself? And more importantly, the customers that that substation is providing power for. Um, we saw it here in uh, uh, Kennewick um, where we had an individual 
lose control of their car. This was right before Christmas. Lost control of their car, and it slammed into a, a substation, a smaller substation. It knocked out power to a good 25,000 people. Uh, now, teams got out there. Uh, it was rainy. It was nasty. Um, they had power back up for those locations um, within about four or five hours uh, because it totally destroyed a piece of equipment in there. Um, I can tell you this. Super Walmart actually closed. They had no power. Um, other major businesses in and around this hub, um, no power. What was strange is we've got a little local mom and pop type supermarket up here. Um, I was like, I, I got to go get this stuff. I needed stuff. Um, and uh, I drove down there not far away and they actually had an emergency generator. It wasn't running all the lights in the store, but it was running the cash registers and enough lights where people could see. And more importantly, this is the security mindset I see with them. They had people stationed at the doors to give that verbal reinforcement. Number one, we're not telling you we're watching you, but we're watching you. Um, number two, to say, hey, there are areas of the store that are dark. Please be careful when you're walking around. The cash registers are open. Just go to the cash register. And they were people were asking, well, is it cash only? And they were like, no, we're fully functional on everything uh because it wasn't an internet power outage it was a power power outage and their generator kicked everything back on um that's the kind of customer impact that this can have um and then when we take a step from the substation back to our manufacturing factory what if they have water tanks are we protecting those well if it's used for cooling you probably should um with the same mindset, because if I've got a three-story water tank or a set of three-story water tanks that are providing me cooling water, um, what if I take a 308 and I put three rounds a foot above the ground? Um, those are those tanks are long lead items as well. And guess what happens? Once the water hits a certain level, you're going to have to shut that plant down because you won't be able to cool the equipment or the or the atmosphere um that same piece of substation applies there um if you're in a building that has and, I, and i've seen a lot of these the mini connex that's turned into a uh, a fire riser for a main water entry into into somebody's perimeter um is that secured do you have access controls on it i see a lot of them don't even have padlock on it um when we're thinking critical infrastructure, everybody automatically goes to substations, nuclear facilities. Uh, you mentioned airports, which was good because people don't think of that as critical infrastructure. Seaports, the exact same way, that's critical infrastructure. Um, if we look outside of Las Vegas and a number of other places now where I've got, you know, tens of square miles of solar, that's critical infrastructure. Wind farms, very common up here in the Pacific Northwest and in a lot of other places across the country. That's critical infra infrastructure. That's power generation. And then it's not just those. It goes down to that 
hey, I build widget A, but it's critical for these things. Exactly. So that that I'm going to consider my manufacturing plant, whether the government does or not, I'm going to consider critical infrastructure and protect at the same time. Well, like you were mentioning too, supply chain. So that supply chain is what what are those manufacturers supplying that might be part of yeah. the critical infrastructure, right? Who's making who's making the transformers yeah. or, or whatever it is? Um, yeah, those are big those are big items, uh, things that are kind of scary to think about. But you know, people should sort of like you said, it's that it's that layered approach, you yeah. know, the onion, and you're just sort of going through all these scenarios until you get to that core. Like how, you know, I know it's not Fort Knox right. for everything, um, but you know, you you just look at the the pros and cons of of doing something at least to uh, harden these things, and I think those are and that's those are great uh, examples for oh, sure. Thanks. The uh, I I think one last piece that's important. Um, always look to your compliance and regulatory agencies. Everybody's mm. got one. <laughs> Um, when we're talking substations, we've, we've mentioned NERC and FERC already, um, IEEA, DOE for, for nuclear in the U S. Um, but there are also, this is that ripple effect who makes this that runs this nuclear plant. Okay. So now they have regulatory from these people plus probably NIST and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, does it have to be tested by NIST? Then it's going to be ASTM as well. Because they're going to be the testing model, right? Um, right. So make sure that your governance team, so more in, in most cases, this is the legal people, make sure that governance team, um, number one, has security contacts. You have a security person working with that governance team. May not be full-time. It may be, you know, you know a third, 30% of their duties. So they can understand when things change because they change quick. Um, we've, we've found quite a few things, uh, where there were changes to like IEC codes, the, the electrical code in an, in a state. And it's like, well, glad we knew about that. Um, or yeah. recently, I mean, we're in 2024, like you said, as of one January, um, if you have, if you're shipping new servers, you're installing servers in a EU country that has to fall under European national standards. The power supply units for those servers cannot be platinum based anymore. Like the majority of power supply units are, they have to be titanium based. Now the, I, I love their thought process on this because you can tell it wasn't just the scientists, the engineers got involved. Because it was, okay, each power supply unit titanium base saves us 2%. Okay, well, if you're running six servers, that's like a meh, why am I doing this? When you're talking yeah. to data center that could be running upward of 80,000 servers, and these servers each have that's two. Deal. Number one, it's huge power reduction requirements. And more importantly, for the company that's running that data center, um, yeah, it's savings. <laughs> so that's money right back into the pot. Um, so it's cost avoidance and cost savings combined. Uh, but we found out, luckily we had a compliance team who was all over it already. 
but they finally brought security teams in uh, later on. And with the U.S. government, you know, we don't move fast. So uh, that was on the U.S. government side of the house. They were saying the same thing, going, you should have brought us in. And the, the, the security panel, as it were, um, said, okay, how much time do we have? Um, and they said, oh, you've got a year. Oh, okay. So we're good. You've told us in advance. I'm thinking it's going to be the next day, like most electrical code stuff. Right. And it's not. Um, but we are seeing changes to IEC um, and ISA, if your company falls under that for those SCADA systems, for the automation systems, for control systems. Um, that's why it, it's kind of critical to have that little layer of defense in the background. Um, and again, smaller company, it may just be illegal legal and they just talk with whoever your security head is, you know, every now and then. If you're a larger company, I want to encourage you, hey, take one of your, your more seasoned security professionals and have them work on the governance and compliance side as well. Uh, and then establish those standards so that you can audit against it because that's going to tell you your vulnerabilities. What would your advice be for manufacturers focusing on critical yeah. infrastructure? And that's a big, you know, umbrella of, of a lot of different things that fall under that. But is there anything you think that they need to focus on that they haven't thought of um, that you're seeing? The same things we talked about. Um, and that we just mentioned that ripple effect for supply chain, all of that applies. Yeah. <laughs> Everything we've said for critical infrastructure applies to the manufacturers who are building critical infrastructure stuff or pieces or components. The other one is vetting your employees, doing those enhanced background checks, um, training, training, training and documenting the training. Um, this is that opportunity to get, to help us build that blue collar workforce back up, right? Um, yeah. Get them through the different levels of training, uh, whether you're union or non-union shop. Uh, I've worked with both. Um, get them through those, those levels of training. Um, and again, that builds a loyalty. It builds ownership. It There's a progression path in my career. I can look at this as a career and not just a job now. Um, I encourage that of any of the manufacturing industry. Um, the other one is that a lot of them don't think about disaster recovery response. Um, they got the business continuity plan and this is what I'm going to do, but show me your emergency management procedures. What are you going to do if there's yeah. a, if there's a, a 7.2 earthquake a mile away from you? Um, That's where you have to have redundant systems. You have to have the point. redundancy then. Yeah. How, what is the impact of a tropical cyclone near me? What is the impact of tornadic activity near me? We've seen that. Everybody's seen the pictures of yeah. how bad the tornadoes can be. Um Again, much like your security drills, and I'm going to say that again, you need to be running emergency response drills as well. Uh, not just your fire drills to comply with the fire code. You certainly need to do those. But, hey, um, 
twice a year, we're going to commit to doing a tabletop exercise with the key leaders. Um, and we're going to say, okay, um, my manufacturing plants in the panhandle of Florida. And we've got a, a cat for a hurricane bearing down on us. What are the steps we're going to take? And with a hurricane, it's much easier than a tornadic activity area because you have days in advance to plan. Yeah, you have time for sure. With tornadic activity, that's a more advanced one. But if you're in that central part of the United States, you've got to drill that. You've got to, do I have an area of best refuge built into my location? We would call it shelter in place, old school terms. Uh, yeah. I've just been, uh, um, my current partner turned me on to the AOBR term. Um, the, uh, what's it stocked with? Okay. It's a hardened facility. Do we have emergency water supplies? Do we have some kind of emergency food supplies? Do we have a way to go to the toilet? Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces. There's to a lot that. of pieces that to and, all that. That and just communication, you know, I think oh. about, um, you know, cell, the cells go down for, for whatever reason. And you know, do you have, do you have a pot sort of that you can pick way? up and talk to people on? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's going away. Yeah. Um, so that, then it really gets into like a sat phone or something, yep. um, for all your installers or whoever it is, your, your team that's out there and, um, kind of getting them to a, maybe a safe location. Yeah. Making sure that, because at that point, if you're the manager, if you're the leader, your employees are your customers at that point as well. They always yeah. are, but that's even more critical. And the other one, a lot of people don't want to talk about it, but we kind of have to. What's the environmental sustainability of how I'm operating, right? Um, is there a better way to do what we're doing? Um, is there a safer way to do what we're doing? I think is the more appropriate thing because a lot of the stuff in our industry involves heavy metals. Um, yeah. It involves electromagnetic fields. It involves um, plastics, but we're seeing a lot of those boards now are recyclable plastics. But to recycle those boards is insane. It's like trying to recycle a, uh, a solar panel. It actually costs more money than you get from it. There's no return on investment. It's an inverse proportion. Uh, I saw a... Uh, a news uh, piece about a, two weeks ago now, and they were actually talking about, hey, why can't we just recycle these? And the 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 solar uh, plant manager was explaining, no, we have to separate all this out, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and it costs you to recycle this. It costs you about sixty two dollars. It costs you sixty two dollars to recycle that. You don't get money back for it. Um, yeah. can they be recycled? Yes. But again, now that's a financial outlay with no return other than the greater return for the environment. Um, that's just a, that's more of a, uh, maybe a technology yeah. question then at that point, right? Yeah. How can they make something that could be? Yeah. And we're, we're starting, I'm hearing stuff out of Europe where they have a means now it's not commercially viable yet but they have a means to start recycling those things or constructing them in such a way that they are recyclable. Um, 
that environmental sustainability, I think, is is going to be another one that's going to be down the road. We're going to be we're going to be called the task for that. Um, and more importantly, that starts a design. Right. Yeah. So lead yeah. certifications and stuff like that for design. If we can do that, um, do I need to use evaporative cooling or can I use liquid cooling if I'm building a data center? What does that look like? Um, what's the cost benefit analysis of that? Because if I can liquid cool those racks, it's way more sustainable than using. Yeah. Even if I would use a, uh, a desiccant air handling unit, that's actually pulling extra humidity out of the air and helping to recycle that. Um, the, the fact that I could liquid cool a rack. But that's okay. Now I got to sit down with the electrical engineers and we got to do all kinds of funky math with theta of this cosine and figuring out radiance and stuff like that. But that's standard stuff. But it's more environmentally sustainable. Some of these new coolants are recyclable. And if that's the case, okay, then we're upping our, we'll call it a green footprint. We're upping that as well. So I think you need to look at that. And that's overlooked quite a bit. Uh, <clears throat> we talked about the fusion stuff again, all that applies. And then what does the industry say? Are you just living in a shell or are you, and I know most companies and manufacturers aren't, they're talking. Uh, we talked about Nashville sure. right now. They're at the fence conference, which means all the fence people and a lot of, you know, security folks are there. Um, and what are those discussions like? And you and I have been to the conferences. We know those discussions can get deep. And a lot of times they're very productive. It's like yeah, the old absolutely. adage, where, where's the best place to hold a meeting? On the golf course, because you get more done. Um, I think understanding what the best practices are. And this goes to information sharing again. Quit living in a silo and communicate share yeah yeah for sure well, i was i was thinking um you know, while you're going through the environmentals uh meaning you know hurricanes and i was thinking about the fires how oh. crazy those have been on the especially on the west coast yeah and um you know talk about hitting electrical obviously that's that's gonna get and it happened up easily. in canada last year yeah so that's a massive impact and then you're talking about you know all the homes that would yeah, not have power for for a very long time at that point. So yeah, I mean, you know, thinking about how we're laying things out and what what sort of your um, threat assessment is on yeah. environment like like that happening. And when we um, do threat assessments, we don't just look at security. So when yeah, I go out what, and do a threat exactly. assessment, it is an all hazards assessment. Uh, I look at supply chain. I look at weather. Um, I look at the standard stuff, criminal activity in the area, um, potential for terrorism, uh, potential for disasters. Um, I know it was flying back last week and I had to fly through Minneapolis, St. Paul, kind of a standard hub for us here out of the great Pacific Northwest. Um, loved that airport and got stuck there, delayed twice. And it wasn't because of our weather it was Iowa where our plane was coming from was getting hit with super cold single digit temperatures and blizzard conditions. 
Mm. And this wasn't at night. This was daytime. So even those weather impacts and then coming back to the Pacific Northwest, um, where I work, I'm looking at our message boards and we've got one for weather in our area and we've been socked with ice for since last week. Um, where it was stay home, don't even try and come in, work remote. Um, and then luckily having such a great team saying, hey, this road is really bad. You don't want to do this. Hey, and you'll understand this. Hey, we just shut down I-82 near Pendleton again. Okay, that gets shut down about 26 times during the year. But we shut it down or the state of Oregon did the correct thing and coming through Hood River, uh, the uh, shut down that portion of the highway like a day in advance, and said you got to find a better way around because we know what's going to happen and people are going to get stuck, and the rescues are just going to cost us. So, right? Why not just mitigate it? Exactly. And that, that comes back to, that's a great way to wrap this kind of segment up, is it? it's about mitigation. You can't solve it. You can't prevent it. Right. Um, like you said, it's insurance. It's an insurance thing, but it's also mitigating what these dangers are and the impacts, not only to the brand, but to the people, right? To the employees, mitigating the impacts to the customers. Yeah. Um, it's all everything in our world comes down to what can I do to mitigate this? Can I stop the hurricane? No. Can I stop the wildfire? Nope. Um, if you're in a uh, food service plant, we have a lot of those up and around uh, our areas up here. Um, that wildfire smoke is a thing. You can't let that into that plant. So yeah. what are my filter changes looking like on my air handling units? Um, and then more importantly, if I'm running like a VESDA system in there, these these hypersensitive smoke detectors, I got to shut those down because even though that small amount of particulate that gets through is setting them off. So now I have to have old school fire watches. I've got people walking around um, in this kind of smoke. Can I prevent that? No. Can I mitigate stuff? Yeah, sure can. There's PPE I can use. Um, I could do simple things like shut the VESDA off. Um, and then once a half an hour, somebody goes here, somebody goes the other way, somebody goes down the third light. And they come back and say, no fires. Okay, cool. Um, that's yeah, it's just about lowering the impact right, yeah. of, of, of these things at some at some level. And um, you know, it's good. It's it's good to go through the exercise of of thinking about all these things. And you know, that's what's so great. Just having a, uh, a discussion on, you know, you take something that is impacts everybody, literally everybody, mm -hmm. uh, which is our electric grid. And, you know, obviously there's professionals that they think about this all the time. But I, I think it's important that everybody, you know, really think about um, what the impact is and, and how systems can help with that. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of manufacturers out there that, um, you know, work within those um, environments and, and they have systems out there. But, you know, new technology is 2024. There's a lot of great things that are out there. And um, so all the 
different security professionals that hopefully are going to tune into this and, and listen. It's just like, this is like the, the best of going through and just thinking about what if, what if, how could we build this better? What could we do to, to, to uh, improve on this uh, platform and, you know, which, which areas do you go at first? Because I think critical infrastructure has the, um, the use case um, to probably uh, apply a lot of these technologies more than maybe a manufacturing facility or something like that for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I just like to always remember my brothers and sisters who are in the manufacturing world uh, because I, I think we touched on this in the last episode uh, in the last probably 10 years, it's been, Oh, that plugs into the wall and it's got a cable. Yeah. You belong to facilities now. And they shoved the security stuff off on these poor facility managers who were like, I can work with 480 VAC at 180 or 200 amps, but I have no clue what that camera thing does. <laughs> um, I always like to remember them because a lot of times they're forgotten. They're, they're the, yeah. they're the forgotten folks. No, I think it's, it's super important because, uh, you know, that's, it touches everything. So it does uh, everything we've talked about touches every portion of pretty much every single industry or business that's yeah. existent today and probably existent in the future businesses we haven't even thought about yet. Right. Um, the, cause you could scale this all the way down to the local McDonald's on the corner. It's the exact same thing. Sure. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just, you know, how, how much are you willing to apply? Right. Yeah. Yeah. To, um, to you know, that. where, what, what's your risk appetite? Uh, and what's the capital that you want to throw at this, you know? And, and that's the thing too, you're mentioning, um, a, a while back is that, you know, the costs have come down, the technology has gone up. And so what you can buy now and, and have at your, at your disposal is something that, you know, was like out of mission impossible before. Right. Yeah, you, you exactly. Things that are, uh, we only dreamed about 10 years ago. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. No, it is. It's amazing. And I think it's going to be amazing to see where we go this year. Um, yeah, actually, I, you hit it kind of the best, probably this year into the next two or three. Um, I, I, we're at another cusp. AI is going to be another cusp where uh, analog to digital transformation was one um, yeah. stair step for our industry. I think ML and AI are going to be the next stair step. And then the next one, quantum. How is quantum computing wow. going to impact AI? How is it going to impact ML for building AI systems or AI-like systems? Um, this is where, if you wrap this back around to that whole threat thing we were talking about before, there are people who are scared. And we talked about this a little bit in the episode before. What is this AI going to do? Is it going to replace me in my job? Because, okay, now I've just created a new threat category. Yeah. Uh, and it could be an individual. All right. Hardest kind of track, hardest kind of stop. Um, it could be a group easier to track, um, larger footprint, um, easier for law enforcement intervention to stop. But that, that, um, and I know we're getting away from the, the lone wolf phrase, but that lone wolf is still the most dangerous thing out there. 
And as the hyperscale data center people and other companies that are offshoots um, or are strictly building artificial intelligence mm-hmm. uh, or machine learning platforms, the communication from the government and the state regulatory agencies is going to be very, very key to set the tone for, um, hey, am I going to lose my job? I saw an article a couple of weeks ago, actually right after the turn in the new year on Google, saying, oh, we're going to lay off, you know, hundreds of people because we believe their job can be done by AI. Wow. Okay, hey, thanks. I needed 300 more threats. Um, But that's what we're looking at. We're creating a new threat vector as well. Um, That's where having that fusion cell and that, it all wraps back around. It's a giant circle. Um, And it just keeps feeding itself. Um, I'm excited for the future. I think it's going to be really cool to see what we can do. do I have the normal security industry professional trepidations? Yeah, but that's how we live our life. Uh, I mean, we go to work, and if it's zero, if nothing happens that day, that's a big win. <laughs> I'm expecting two or three things to occur every single day. Um, and I haven't been disappointed yet, except occasionally. And those are great days. The... Uh, what other questions do you have? I think we covered almost everything. I think yeah, we did pretty darn good. This is this except, is um, except uh, uh, OPSEC and InfoSec. I have them down on my notes. Um, that's part of your training package, though, right? That's part of that culture of security you're setting up. Um, the old U.S. Navy saying "loose lips sink ships." <laughs> Still hard for me to say. Um, they came out with a newer one, and again, my partner brought this up, um, that was loose tweets sink fleets. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I like that one because it's more modern and it's easier for me to say. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of the truth, right? So if I'm looking at a third-party software, bringing it in, how am I reviewing that? Am I doing a full penetration test? Am I asking for ISO compliance documents? Am I looking for SOC 2 for compliance? Am I looking at ISO 9001 or 27001 at all these different ISOs? This is the cybersecurity piece driving it again. Right. But more importantly, are my folks down at the bar talking about this after work? Um, what's the social engineering piece that can be brought into play? So that's creating that culture. Hey, we don't wear our badges outside of the compound. Right. You know, lock them, lock them in your car. Don't just leave them hanging from the mirror because that's a simple smash and grab and that's gone. Yeah. We don't want that. Um, the, I'm, I'm making sure that, Hey, we don't talk about this. You know, it's confidential to it's business confidential to our company, things like that. And then the flip side of that coin is, in addition to that, if I there are concerns that there's business espionage being conducted, how are we addressing that? Do I have an internal investigation mechanism that can, again, leverage my intelligence people because that's what we would pay them to do? Um, 
along with law enforcement. And uh, depending on the company, if we're talking critical infrastructure, we're talking federal. Yeah. Um, who from federal? It depends. Uh, I know that uh, like Department of Transportation has criminal investigative arm. Yeah. All, all the departments in the U.S. government have a criminal investigative arm. You can work jointly with them to say, hey, we think we've identified business espionage. Um, and we've seen it at some of the highest levels where DOE's done stuff at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, uh, White Sands, places like that. Wow. Um, where we've found espionage. Um, so that's that other point of OPSEC and InfoSec that it can't be underestimated. And that may be Doug's military piece coming out. Um, but from military experience, we've seen this. It's happened. There is data to back this up. Absolutely. Um, if you look at the greater picture in the news, um, I know a lot of folks on both sides of the intelligence community who are very wary of things they are seeing. Yeah. They're, they're saying they may not be red flags, but they're kind of orangish. You know, um, they're sending off uh, flags and that. So making sure this is why what we were talking about access control before, why is it three years? You need to do these, these critical security checks, right? Just like you would perform a safety check on a piece of equipment. This is a critical security check that, that should be integral to your program. And it can also find those red flags or orange flags, if you were to use their terminology, a lot faster. Um, and and in some cases, even find them at all. Because the the historic thing is, if I catch one spy, there is ten more. Yeah, that's the scariest part. Is uh, yeah, you, know, you think about. Um, well, it just depends on what, what what a company manufactures. It could be a lot of different uh, factors to that. Yeah, and if it's critical infrastructure yeah. or a manufacturing piece for critical infrastructure, wind turbines, solar, yeah, um, huh, privatized space, um, the opportunities. I mean, that's, I would tell you that is national significance. Yeah, I, I would national even, security. you could even attach, I mean, I, I won't go into too much detail, but, you know, all of the um, the larger institutions, the, the MITs and, and so on. Oh, yeah. You know, they have some, yeah. some uh, things that they're doing there, too, where those definitely are, are targets for people to uh, where are the Where are the quantum labs yeah. at? Yeah. So, where are they going to be built this year? And like you Those said, and that's the future. Targets. And you're talking about, you know, a uh, multi-trillion-dollar industry probably on the horizon, right? So, yeah, yeah. And Lord knows what that's going to look like. Yeah, um, I can't even imagine. Hey, we we thought our video management systems were good. Now, just wait. Uh, <laughs> no kidding. It's going to be uh, the precognition uh, here, I guess, pretty soon. But uh, yeah, okay, we'll go minority report if you want to go go there. <laughs> so I was going to say that um, I, I think we did pretty good. We we kind of went over the the gamut of uh, the different critical infrastructure pieces and and some of the layers to that, which I think is is going to be fun uh, just to to go through and hear that. But I was going to say what you know what we're kind of doing uh, at Defender. What would you like to share with the the wider audience, the people that are are tuning in, a lot of people tune in on via audio. So, um, yeah, yeah. What, what's your what's your uh, advice out there to that audience? Um, learn, 
stay hungry. Because if you're hungry, you're not complacent. Um, there's a lot of times in our industry where this is my swim lane and I stay in my swim lane mm -hmm. because I'm really good at this. I've done this for 15 years. Do I know there's issues over here? Yeah, but that's that's not my swim lane. No, that's not how we work together. It's It's called a team for a reason. When I send out emails, I always use team unless it's an individual. If it's more than one, I will use the word team. Why? It's inclusive. I'm bringing everybody into the fold, right? Yeah. And saying, hey, team, reinforcing that we need to solve these issues. Um, I can't solve them alone. An individual can't solve this alone. Uh, and that's just a lot about our industry because there's a lot of type A personalities in our industry. Um, and sometimes they're afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid. Yeah. It doesn't make you dumb. Go learn stuff. Go on a learning platform online and learn stuff. Um, even like LinkedIn has tons of free training. You can get tons of free training everywhere. Um, go and seek out certifications. I just did another round at the beginning of January and I'll tell you straight up. <laughs> I haven't done math like that in a long time, buddy. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, did I need to get them? No. Did I want to get them? Yes, because I wanted to understand more of the infrastructure pieces of how we do power, how we do heating, how I, de how I determine availability for a location or a manufacturing plan or something like that. Um, what telecom pieces do I have to look at? Uh, which I kind of knew, but there are some things I didn't know. So I learned a whole bunch in this. Always be hungry. Oh, I read voraciously. Um, I have on my home computer, I've got a, uh, a uh, little SQL API thing that I've got. And it searches out. I hit the button and I can go fill my teacup or my coffee cup, depending on the day. Um, and I can come back and I've got from multiple news sources around the globe, everything I wanted to target. Um, that's my morning read. That's my TLDR for the morning. Nice. If, as it were, because I, it's critical for us in our industry. You've got to stay on top of this stuff. Yeah. Otherwise you're not going to learn. You're not going to be on the edge, which is, I'll tell you right now, my leadership above me, they expect me to be the one to find this stuff. Um, so I do my best to stay hungry and try and find the stuff. Yeah. I think it's really um, important to push yourself that way. And then, yeah, you know, stay informed on, on stuff. And there's, there's great, you know, things that are our disposal for doing that for sure. It is hard though. Huge because it's very easy in some ways to read like sort of industry stuff. Um, yeah. And it might be a little bit more of a, a dig, to try to find real Intel that subscribe to TechCrunch. Yeah. I was going to say TechCrunch. That's a, that's definitely good. TechCrunch is a good one. I get that in the email every morning and my little, my little API, my, I call them my web spiders. Yeah. They, they look for TechCrunch articles as well, but they're also looking at Forbes. They're looking at Bloomberg. They're looking at the wall street journal. They're looking at the New York times. Uh, they look at Al Jazeera from the Middle East. Yeah. They look at BBC. They look at Der Spiegel out of Germany. Um, they look at the Korean Times. 
they look at two or three newspapers in in uh, Tokyo and Kyoto, um, knowing that some of the major camera manufacturers, Hanwha, Tequin, um, their only manufacturing plants are either in South Korea or there's one in Vietnam, and it's a huge plant. So I've added Vietnam on there. Um, I need to I need to hear I need to see. Is there anything going on? There may not be anything going on that day. Right. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. But those two or three days where something does trip the trigger and I get to read about it, okay, I'm more informed. Right. Um, and then the learning aspect that can't you you've got to stay on top of this stuff. If if you want to learn about AI, um, there's plenty of stuff online that you can go on. Uh, most of the hyperscale uh, providers, cloud providers have AI classes that you can take. Introduction to artificial intelligence and machine learning, things like that. Take those classes. Um, and then find a mentor. If you're newer to our industry, I know that's kind of hard. Connect with somebody on LinkedIn. That's what that platform's there for. Um, and in your little connection note, which it usually has for you, say, hey, I'm looking for a mentor. I'm kind of new to the industry. You know, would you would you help me? And I'll tell you right now, I get asked quite a bit. And I say yes, quite a bit. Um, because I think it's important. Look, I'm not going to be around forever. I need to pass knowledge down. Um, the other thing, if you're older in the industry, like me, who's who, four decades now doing this stuff, um, I'm writing a lot of things down. Let's just leave it at that. Good. Um, I'm looking at risk management as a total and outlining things and writing things down. Uh, because I think if we don't pass that knowledge on, if we go and retire without that knowledge being passed on, we've done not only who we're working for, the company we're working for, but our colleagues and peers in that a disservice because maybe it's going to take them two years to figure out what you already knew um, or have already seen before and they just haven't experienced it. Uh, I think finding that mentor is really, really key. And a mentor meeting is easy. It's a half an hour. It's time management. Yeah. Half an hour, I jump on Microsoft Teams or Slack or Zoom or whatever you're going to use and talk. I love that. That's the best advice I can give. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Between uh, staying educated and get a mentor. Uh, I think that'd be great. Mm -hmm. Any Anything um, you want to see on Defender that we haven't done yet? Anything that you think would be uh, valuable? Ooh. Ooh. I know. Ooh, I'm opening myself now up. You here. Open the floodgates, as it I know. were. Here we go. The uh, I think we really need to look at ports, port security, hmm. shipping. Um, and most recently, I've seen. Um, we talked about drones and stuff like that. They're using UAVs to do key wall inspections and inspections of suspect craft and the stuff like that uh, in a lot of the U.S. ports uh, where I've got friends who are still Coast Guard or civilians who work for the Coast Guard um, and like NYPD's Harbor Patrol, um, Long Beach 
Harbor Patrol out of California. One of the busiest That's huge. ports on the planet. Yeah. And then uh, the former port director, security director out of Jacksonville at a Mayport. Uh, I actually used to work for him when he was a Marine. A great person, taught me a lot. Um, what are they leveraging? Uh, how are they helping to secure these ports? How do they, more importantly, how do they ratchet based on the threat? How do they ratchet their security posture? Which is actually kind of neat how they do it because they fall under DOT and DHS for some things, but some things it's that individual port security director. It's that company who is the port who has to execute all this. Yeah. Um, I think that might be something we can look at. Uh, I'd love the deep dive supply chain. Yeah. I think that's, that is, there's so many cool things out there now with how to track it from end to end. Um, the secure transportation piece is getting crazy, um, crazy in a good way, uh, where we would only see that with like DOE stuff or, you know, critical hazmat, like nuclear hazmat and stuff like that before. Now you're seeing it on what critical infrastructure manufacturing, mm-hmm. things like that, how we're tracking these shipments, how we're vetting the drivers, how we're setting up the trucking industry to succeed. Um, even while we know there are blockers in the way uh, with fuel and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, how are we doing, I'll call it endpoint to endpoint supply chain security. So if I order um, boxes of XY out of Taiwan and I get two cargo containers full of these things, and they're critical to me building this, which is critical to running a substation, right? Yeah. Not unheard of. No. How do I make sure that that's secure? Because I know these whatever widgets we ordered, um, their life cycle is is very short. So if they don't make it there, I've got a really good possibility of a power outage, of a grid interruption. Um so how do we do that? And part and parcel of that, and I mentioned the word, is looking at what I have on hand and what's the life cycle management piece of that. And that that's where a lot of people will say, well, that's not security. I said, no, it is security because your entire supply chain security leads up to, hey, did you do preventive maintenance on widget A? Did we follow the life cycle management of this? Or, hey, we've hit the mean time before failure. Next week, we need to replace this part. Right. So understanding those critical, that's critical to understanding supply chain security. That and if they had stock, maybe there's a, a warehouse where they have stock of certain things. And, um, you know, is that, how's that looking as well, right? Because if are they're they, relying on Are they on doing that, FIFO? Yeah. Are they running hybrid? We found this out in COVID yeah. where everybody was just in time logistics. And, hey, we found out what Oops. the older people like me knew, that just in time logistics as as a 100% solution was not going to be a 100% solution. Yeah. Most companies I've seen now have shifted back to a hybrid where I've got shelf stock um, and I'm doing first in, first out. Um, that's part of it. Like you said, that's a critical piece of supply chain yeah. security. How am I securing that in the warehouse? How am I tracking it? How am I inventorying it? The whole nine yards. That's all part of supply chain security. 
Yeah, that's that'd be a good. Maybe we we have to do it more often than six months. Sure. So we'll have to, uh, sure. We'll have to bust a uh, a new edition of of Defender just to focus on that. I think that'd be great. Oh, I think it'd be fantastic. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Doug, for for being on Defender. I really appreciate your time. It's great to uh, to chat with you. So, um, thanks for coming on, and I look forward to our our next chat. Yeah, uh, more than welcome. Uh, willing to come back uh, at any time. Just let me know. Uh, great to see you again, and uh, everybody out there in the uh, in the Webiverse, as it were. Thanks. Thank you. You bet. That was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed Doug's insights. Now, if you're not already a subscriber, do me a favor. Click the link below, hit the notification bell for new episodes. And until next time, this is David with Defender.